Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Hey guys, today we've got a very intense and heavy story about a near-death experience I had with my wife last year in the backcountry. Um, this is a really good episode for anyone who's thinking about going going somewhere away from roads, whether you're solo or with a buddy. So stay tuned for a pretty fascinating story. Hey, Josh. Baxter, Baxter. This one is, uh, I remember when you, <laughs> I remember when you told me this story, did you, did you send me a, I think you just sent me a photo, right? Yeah, I did. And I, I think we wound up to record it too. And it was, uh, it didn't work because internet connectivity, but it was a good, I was kind of glad of it. It was a little too soon afterwards to really have a, like, I, think, I think now I'll be able to do it without, you know, getting too emotional and having a crazy thought process here. It was, uh, it was intense. Yeah. Oh man. I saw that photo and then I, I showed my brother and he's like, dude, why do you show me these things? <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> a brutal photo. Yeah. You're yeah. squeamish. It's not, uh, not for the record books, yeah, but no, it was, I mean, I think this is, so maybe we just give people a spoiler alert of there was a, there was a broadhead that made contact with the leg. Um, and we'll, we'll walk through how that happened, but it was one of those things you've heard. I'd heard on other podcasts. I've heard from other bow hunters something you always hear about. You're always told this is dangerous. You're like, yeah, it'll never happen to me. It's that easy. There's just no way. Um, it didn't happen to me, but it happened to, to Margaret, um, my wife, when we were out last year. And so quite a crazy story and amazing how fast it happened, how easy it was for it to happen. Um, and I think really gave me a different perspective on like what the meaning of safety is we talked a lot about this like solo versus with the buddy thing, but um, we were, you know, there's two of us and you're like, wow, there's not much I can do here. Uh, it's a really, really crazy story. Yeah. Pretty intense. So yeah. Why don't we walk through the story and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the lessons and also reflections afterwards. Um, yeah. And I and, think it's a good one for anyone <laughs> thinking about hunting this fall. That's for yeah. Sure. Yeah. Seriously. And it could be a good one for anyone just doing anything solo or anything outdoors really or anything yeah. risky just just to keep in mind stuff like this so yeah we could probably dovetail and do a lot of the lessons i've learned just from living yeah. in idaho i mean i learned a lot of them even before that but just like there's you're always a little more out of touch than you think and i think especially for guys coming from like big cities or from the east coast or areas you're just not used to the fact that um, help is very far away. Um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I do already, but I've even taken that another level since I've started living here and doing a lot of these sorts Ooh. of things. Yeah. I'm curious about that stuff. Um, like yeah. the, yeah, that, that whole thing. Uh, yeah. I even how went I set out of the car, how I, yeah, all these other things. Like, oh, yeah. We should talk about that. Yeah. So why don't we start off with the story? So when was the, yeah, yeah I remember it was snowing, right. And where was this and what, what were you guys doing? And yeah. yeah so backing up it was a cool you know it's a cool year because we're here first time full you know, full residency we can apply to the draw and we just threw in a few different long long haul tags and of course you know i think this is how it always goes margaret's never really hunted deer with a bow but we put in for a limited entry draw um which you know guys could probably figure out from this but it's pretty close to where we live in idaho and it's a, a winter archery tag they all come out of the woods and they um they're down low in the foothills here and there's just hundreds and hundreds of deer um down here in the, the winter it's a very you know before you guys all get excited and go buy the tag or apply and draw the odds down even more it's an extremely difficult tag too because 
it's very open terrain and you know the the deer are either rutting um or they're just chilling down in these areas so they're very hard to stock on but it's a cool one because you're going to get probably 50 20 opportunities a day it's just whether you can actually connect um but yeah she drew like i think it's one or two percent odds and she drew it um and so we were really fired up and it was hard with a lot of the job stuff and um the baby you know we were, we were both just tired but it was like wow how cool is that we can drive you know 30 minutes to an hour from the house and be hunting um in this place where this ended up happening was actually extremely close because we went went after work one day but so it was a hell of a tag and a really cool opportunity i think it was very it's one of those scary things because it's so close this is actually very close to a larger city and very close to an area you could have got help uh, so it made it even more kind of shocking when it when it all did go down yeah so you guys were out and then yeah yeah so we went we she'd hunted um we hunted the tag itself is really cool so we hunted i think we were gone thanksgiving we got back and hunted one weekend and we saw a beautiful four point or four by four buck and um she went up a hillside i went across the way with the kiddo she almost got in on it and then luke started screaming and the buck across the area blew out and then we we were done for the day so we'd had this we'd already had this really amazing experience we were like hey we're getting a babysitter for the full day we're going to go out um, to this area that's only like a mile or two from from downtown even um, or like downtown but like the city and uh, hunt a lot of these deer when they're down low and um, i did scouting there during the week and yeah, they're everywhere freaking I mean, there's probably 500 deer like i said down in that area so we get out there very early on a saturday morning um you know we're gonna go call it two three four miles from the truck she's pregnant it's another detail i should definitely throw in there she's pregnant but relatively early on um and uh so you know, for me i'm thinking hey what am i what am i putting in my pack i'm just doing the standard you know the, the kill kit some layers some food some water we're good to go right um it's so, so we sign up for the morning we hop out you know 200 yards in we're into deer and she tried to get the buck the weekend before this was winding down on the last weekend of the tag um, obviously we hadn't put in quite the effort that you'd get with this but turns out when you're pregnant you have a first child it's uh <laughs> you're not hunting every day on one of these tags uh so we have an opportunity or two get real close things don't quite work out we go up to the top of this ridge and we're about call it like a mile and a half but probably you know in the west the mileage doesn't matter it's more the the verticals are probably 1500 up uh 1500 vertical and so we camp out there we're chilling she looks over and these little finger draws and there's a there's a whole bunch of them i go one way she goes one way i look over tons of deer over here i look over tons of deer over there i come back to tell her hey i found a bunch of deer and she's already putting a stock on one of these things okay cool um so we come around the corner and uh she gets into this little finger draw and if you're imagining this the draw kind of goes you know up the side of a larger ridge right and so i'm on one side and i look in the bottom and i see a bunch of deer down there and they're all kind of standing around woofing at her and um making noise so clearly they see something but she gets close enough by stalking in on some of the other does and she's like i'm going to shoot a doe at this point because she's never shot a deer before and we've got one day left um she winds up at a at a um, a doe about 40 yards away and shoots and misses it uh which is she's generally pretty accurate with the bow i think she 
you know, it was kind of one of the first stages at which I was like, what's going on? But she, she'd been getting cold. We've been up there for a while. We've been exposed. She's getting tired. Um, she's pregnant for crying out loud. You know, she's, she's just struggling a bit, um, which kind of would have been stage number one to go, okay, this isn't quite right. Um, you can tell something's off. She's tired. She's just making hasty decisions. Um, we probably should have pulled the plug, but I think you also get into that, like, Hey, I got to just, just one more. I'm so close. I'm so close. And you've got this like once in a lifetime tag, supposedly. Right. So you get just all fired up. You know, you've, you've had buck fever. You understand how it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so she shoots, she misses it. You know, I run over there. What's going on. She's like, oh, you know, I was just shooting and just felt I'm really cold. I'm really tired. Um, so we go, we're like, well, let's go around the side and just see if they're there. And then we can scram. Um, it's starting to snow a little bit. Uh, it's definitely cold. It's like early December, right? And we come around the side and they're all standing right there. And so we, a bunch of them split uphill, a bunch split downhill, and then another bunch of deer downhill stand up. And she kind of goes into the middle of that finger and the, in the gut of at the very bottom and the ones downhill of her start moving upwards. So now we're stuck. They kind of can see us. I'm behind her. She's 50, 60 yards ahead of me. Um, and we end up sitting on this exposed hillside for about 20 minutes in the snow and the wind and the, the rain, um, kind of sleetiness. And so she's getting colder and colder and colder. Even I'm getting really cold at this point. Uh, and the deer are just getting closer and closer and closer. She's just trying to make this shot. I won't wind up too long. Basically they, at some point she almost got within bow range. They spook and they run uphill and she does kind of what I've, she's done it before. And I've yelled at her, but I know it's your wife, right? You can't be too. <laughs> there's this like there's this fine line between being too prescriptive and getting her very angry at you and like making sure she's safe but she's an arrow knocked in her bow and she's historically run or moved towards deer and elk really quickly with it in the bow pointing down mm-hmm. and i've always screamed at her you know do not do that that's just not it's like leaving a loaded round in the chamber or putting your finger on the trigger it's just something you don't do ever um and she's just tired. She's really, really tired. She's very out of it. She's her least favorite thing on the planet is being cold. She's just like exhausted. She's pregnant. She puts the arrow down, starts running. And sure enough, um, I don't see this, but she kicks her, her leg up into the arrow. Um, so for guys that haven't thought this through, when you've got an arrow knocked and it's pointing down, if something moves upward, there's nowhere for that thing to go. Um, these are day six, brand new spanking, fortunately, brand new spanking broadheads that are razor stinking sharp S30V. Um, so she kind of, you know, uh, the first I find out about is I run up there, the deer had woofed out and gone over the top and I go running up. Oh, did you get close to him? You get a shot, whatever. And she's like, no. And she, uh, and she looks at me funny. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, oh, you know, I, I think, I think I poked myself through my pants with the broadhead. And I said, you know, I said, what you did what? And she's, I look and there's like a little hole in her pants. Like, yeah. I think I just stumbled and it kind of caught. And I said, Oh, well, let me look at it. She's like, I might've got, got myself, but I can't tell I'm kind of cold. Uh, and I went, looked, went down and pulled the little hole in her pants apart. It's like this perfect broadhead cross. I'm like, uh Oh, pull it open. And I mean, she's got a through and through went all the way through her leg front to back with that broadhead yeah. in, an, in an instant. Um, and it's bleeding. It's bleeding a lot, like lots of blood. I mean, it's just <laughs> like just everywhere. Um, and it goes from like a, you know, happy 
we're tired. We're going home to like something bad really quick. Uh, and I, you know, first thing I did is get her on the ground, got a, got a hand around her, um, leg to kind of slow the blood. You put applied pressure to stop some bleeding. Uh, my, you know, my family's medical, fortunately, again, we're close to, uh, close to a big city. So I have a cell reception. I call, call one of them, take a photo. You know, first they see it. First thing they say is just, do you need to you need to get her down uh, right now? And right as they say that she looks up at me and goes, Hey, I, I feel really lightheaded. Like I feel really woozy. I was like, Oh shit. Um, yeah. 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 That's, that is intense. How far were you guys from the truck at that point? Like oh, two and a half miles. Yeah. It's just a horrible feeling. Cause you're like, dude, there's, there's nothing I can do. And it's like snowing and it's cold and you guys are exhausted. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, this is why we didn't record it like a month in, but geez. So I'm, you know, I know generally how to respond to this stuff, but I'm like, dude, I've got my pregnant wife over the top of a 1500 foot Ridge and she's bleeding out and there's like not much that can go down right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it became a real quick, you know, what do you do? You know, I call a helicopter, you got 911, fortunately I've got cell signal, but we're, we're in and out of a bar of service, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I need to get up to the top of this Ridge at the very least. Um, so uh, really quickly put pressure, like I said, put pressure on it, got her water and um, food, just, you had the presence of mind to be like, like get her mind off of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, if you eat something or drink something, you're going to feel better, you know, get her, get her blood pressure up, get a lot of water into her system. So I'm put, you know, pushing on it and she just starts drinking a lot of water, has a little sugar snack, you get yeah, her blood, she- blood sugar up real fast. Um, we just sit there for five or 10 minutes. You know, I debate, what do we do? We call someone it's bleeding, but it's not bleeding, slowing down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so I tell her, Hey, let's get, you know, let's get up to the top of the Ridge where I got cell service where I could make the call if we need to, like, let's just start moving. Let's just get you, let's get you moving. Right. Um, so that you don't get colder. You don't have time to think about this. You don't kind of go into shock. Uh, and so we get her hiking. She starts moving, moving, feeling, feeling better. I'm feeling better. Um, we get to the top of the ridge and she starts kind of regaining her, her strength. And yeah, you were going to ask a question. Yeah. Did she know at this point how bad it was or were you just like, oh, you kind of nicked yourself. Like, let's just get out. No, I didn't tell her. Yeah. 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 No, I, I just said, Hey, you know, I didn't even like freak out and say, we got to go. I just looked at it. And I said, yeah, you know, love it's bleeding and there's a lot of blood there. Um, you definitely cut yourself, but we should probably, we should probably just go to the car. Um, you know, I just kind of gave her that. Right. Right. right? And uh, she's cold. She can't even feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, this makes me feel even better about being a hunter. Like you could put one of those things to your leg, you don't even feel it. They're just so sharp. They're so right. stinking sharp. Right. Um, so we get her to the top of the ridge. She's feeling better. Um, I've been able, you, she's got her, her long underwear on. We kind of roll it up and that forms a little bit of like a pressure tourniquet on the, yeah. the leg. Like it, you just roll it up and it's got a lot tight grip. And so right. between that, um, and we found out later, it actually was fairly superficial. It went kind of through in one side and out the outer side of the other. Like if you're looking at your, your calf, um, it basically just went in the back outside and out the front outside, probably only yeah. about a half an inch under the skin. Right. Uh, like so the fortunately right it didn't even hit outside. muscle that bad or like, any, I mean, it was, 
about as lucky as you can get with this stuff. And it was so yeah. very scary. Um, yeah. So to describe it to people, like if you, if you're sitting down and, or if you're standing up and you look, you know, pull your calf up, it, it basically went through the outside, like edge of it, like yeah. in and out, but a couple inches over in it. Oh, oh it there's arteries, there's muscles, there's bad encapsulation syndrome. There's bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're very blessed that that happens that way that quickly. Um, and I probably would have, if it had been worse, I would have been on a, on a phone call with the helicopter instantly. You know, I, yeah. I just know from experience that this is stuff that you don't mess around with, mm -hmm. uh, but we got her over the top. You know, it stabilized a bit. She stabilized a bit and I just never let her stop. Um, I just kind of, cause my thought was, you know, if she stops, she gets cold. She gets you know, it's everything's bad. Um, right. And as long as it's not bleeding like crazy, the blood's slowing down. We're keeping her moving. Um, and so I won't overly dramatize her and think we're able to keep her going for about 45 more minutes. And uh, you get her down to the truck and we instantly hopped in it and ran down to her. Yeah, urgent care was closer than the emergency room at that point. And by that point, the blood, you know, when you're in the car, you can put a full on tourniquet on it, just wrap mm -hmm. something around it and the blood, it, it, it really slowed down. And like I said, it was a lot more superficial than we originally thought. Um, so we went down and, you know, got to spend the rest of our daycare day getting, uh, I think it was 14 stitches or something like that. Um, so yeah, just quite a, quite an event. And that was, that's the story. And it was quite a, I think it was one of the ugliest feelings I've ever had. Uh, um, just being that powerless of like, wow, this is someone I care can do things, right? Like the, the point of today is, you know, give guys the appropriate level of scary. And like, hopefully if they've listened to this podcast, they know I'm a pretty on top of it, pretty anal guy. And like, I'm pretty prepared. And I still was like somewhat pants down on that one. Um, but I think it's more to talk about like the things that I'm already doing that without it would have been sketch even more of now um, after that. But yeah, it was uh, it was an eye opening experience for sure. Yeah, that's super intense. I remember um, looking back at her text actually. So you said <laughs> late season mule deer archery. She went last week and it got close. And then Monday I text you, how'd it go? And then oh, got yeah. this photo back, and I was like, and you were like, <laughs> she got one. <laughs> You're like, well, we got a story and shots fired. Should be good. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I was, I mean, the happiest thing about it for me is that she did get an opportunity to shoot it once she did get an opportunity. And like, she had a hell of a, like, it was a heck of a hunt. Uh, stepping back, like, it was really cool. We got two weekends of like close encounters and almost, and you know, she's not out there hunting for that 200 inch mule deer. She's out there just, getting a mule deer um right i'm sure there's a few thousand guys i know for a fact there's a few thousand guys in the state that be so upset at that but it's like that's that's hunting you know it's not like you know there's only 20 other people with this tag or whatever but like it doesn't mean you have to go out and shoot the biggest thing on the planet or mm -hmm. hunt 40 days and sleep out there and like it's it's fun um so we had a phenomenal time it just went south really really quick <laughs> That's such an intense experience. Uh, looking back on it now, when you're reflecting, what are your takeaways, I guess, or, or thoughts? And same for Margaret. What, what do you, how have the conversations been since? Yeah, well, I think we're both, um, you know, like I said, we're both very, very thankful and like just super blessed that it went down the way it went. And also just, hey, we learned a lot from that. And it's something to apply. We're really fortunate it happened in that way. And like we can learn a lot from that and apply it to, uh, to more intense setups, right? Because, like I said, we're we're backpacking buddies. We're in places that can't go right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can't go wrong because it's not a good spot for it, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of things we learn, like that's probably the most constructive use of this time is just to talk through like what the things I was already doing, which I think are above and beyond what most, most people would do. And then also talk about the things that you, know, after this, I'm like, Hey, I really need to do this too. Um, I think a few things really worked for me. One is that I'm from a family of doctors and so I'm used to this sort of stuff and I've been in those stressful situations and I've seen them handle it. Um, so I've never had formal training, uh, like backcountry medicine training, but I know the general steps of, you know, put pressure, elevate, um, get them fluids, you know, keep them, keep them talking, keep them moving, keep, if, if they can move or safe to move them, usually you don't want to move them. It's really bad, but I, I generally know the right things to do just from that. Um, so I think that's not the same, like I said, as getting a certification or learning something, but I'm fortunate in that way. And that I was ready to respond to that. Um, the other things we did well is like we knew we knew that we'd have reception in that area. I did have a in reach, but as we talked about before, like those things are very slow and very limited. Um, so I just decided to stay on the cell phone and try to get reception with that. So I, I had a plan to communicate and I knew I was prepped for that. So we were, we had options, right? It wasn't like we were in a backcountry hunt with nothing. Um, and then I also, you know, fortunately from, the the years of doing this, I had carried a lot of excess clothing and a lot of other stuff in my pack. Like I did have some some clotting bandages we used at a, one point. I did have um, uh, like a, some things I could use as a tourniquet, some duct tape. We did a, we didn't really use that in this situation because we just used her long underwear. So we were we were fairly prepared. Like overall, like we were pretty ready for it. And I think there's a bunch of things I want to even up a bit more. But I think for guys that haven't thought through that, like get, you get the basic training or even just like read some articles on what to do. If you have someone in that situation, think it through, plan for it. Like, this is not just some abstract thing. Someone's slicing an elk, they miss, they hit their wrist and they, you know, they're bleeding, um, you know, broadhead, they're bleeding. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. They fall off a cliff, break a leg, or, you know, they're just, you know, we had that happen in our elk camp. What? Two years ago, a year ago, one That's of the guys, right. yep. One of the guys, hunting from the same area we hunted his brother broke a leg mm -hmm. uh, compound spiral fracture like really bad you know in a really bad spot um so it's not this is something that happens with astounding consistency so it's just something to be prepared for right anyway right. it's enough of me ranting but like i do feel like we were very prepared and there's there's still things i want to do yeah so in terms of preparation for the folks listening i mean having the education to handle the situations out there you talked a little bit about the gear maybe maybe we can start from the top to the bottom in terms of gear what do you think are some of like the absolute necessities and uh, yeah especially now after this experience yeah well i think there's so there's a tough line on this like and i've you know listened to a few cool podcasts on like the hunt back country and a few other cool podcasts that have done this with an ems or emergency responder my sister's uh certified wilderness responder so i've sat down with her and the, the unfortunate reality is if you're going to take the equipment you really need it's going to weigh two or three pounds and be huge mm -hmm. like a true tourniquet weighs a full pound um so i think there's always going to be a line of do you want to do something like that or do you want to just make stuff work and i'd say the bare minimum in my opinion um the bare minimum is something to sanitize wounds so they don't get infected really fast um mm -hmm. whether it's wipes or a gel or something because if you're going to get someone out your infection is often what kills you if you can't get someone out um in a very timely manner um so that's a that's a minimum you know for me something i've always got um 
having something you've identified in your brain as a tourniquet. You know, for me, it's my belt, or I could double duct tape up and you know, use that. If you were um, truly going to use a tourniquet, it's going to hurt someone. Like if you really need to completely stop blood flow, it is going to hurt them. Uh, so I would watch a video or two on exactly how to do a tourniquet. I've done that. Um, and I knew I was ready for that if we had to. Um, so I'd say that would be a big, big one. So identify what you're going to use as a tourniquet. Not like, oh yeah, I'll just use a jacket or whatever. It's like, no, this belt or that duct tape that's always in that spot. You just know it's there um, would be another one. And then I think um, some bandages just uh, to be able to put pressure on something. You have to wrap, you have to, you have to get something that's going to build up volume and put it on. Mm-hmm. You could use a sock or something, but then, <laughs> again, there goes all your antibacterial <laughs> uh, stuff. So, so yeah, those are kind of the, I mean, those are my bare necessities for now. Those are things I'm definitely going to, you know, continue to carry and, and keep carrying. I think the communication, I think the plan to get someone out is really big. I think we talked about that and the solo versus with the buddy and that, Everyone thinks the the buddy is the savior thing, but a buddy's just like completely useless if they've got a, they don't know what to do or they have to go drive out to go get help, right? I think you're always way safer with an EPIRB um, and a satellite communicator because you can get help faster when you really need it. So we had the satellite communicator. We did not pull it. That's a $15,000 charge if they don't deem it necessary, but it was out and in my hand. Um, and it was something I was going to consider if like she got to the point where she's bleeding enough, we just had to stop her completely. Right. I couldn't get cell service. Um, so I think that's, we did a whole episode on that guy should really go listen to the differences between a true, a true PLB or EPIRB and a satellite communicator and why you just cannot depend on only a satellite communicator. I've heard a lot of horror stories with the Garmin's, um, the in reaches, they're not a true save your butt device. Um, Mm -hmm. And the punchline is we have both. <laughs> we have both. Yeah, that's there, there's a time and place for each. I'm not just trash talking Garmin, but uh, yeah, if you really need to get out of jail card, there's a reason you need a PLB. Um, so I think that's a big one for me. Like I, I already, like I had it in the pack and I already carried it for my own personal trips everywhere. But basically if I am anywhere, that's not a guarantee of cell signal. I've got it in the cargo pocket from now on. Um, yeah. I mean, like even fly fishing on a local river. Like stuff just goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, I love that thing. That's my 24 seven security device. Yeah. And then um, one other thing, tactically, I, I picked up a while ago when I watched the movie, one twenty seven hours and heard of Aaron Ralston's story where he got that rock, you know, shoved in between his, like the wall and his arm and he ended up having to cut his own arm off and yep. survived out there for like almost a week. And it's the idea if you're going to go somewhere to leave a plan. So that's, that's Mm -hmm. one thing I started doing, especially with the solo backpacking stuff or like even any kind of solo trip. Even I went on a backpacking trip this weekend. I sent the whole thing, the agency and all this stuff to my, my mom and brother and dad, what time I'm supposed to get back. You want to talk a little bit about that plan? Uh, And I think you told me some stuff too, like about when to expect a text back and that sort of thing. Can you walk us through that? that's a real good point. Cause it's like, it's one of those things that seems so innate to me. I don't, I don't even realize I'm doing it anymore. Um, but I think for guys that are like, when I go to do something, even like a chucker hunt with my, my wife on the weekend, when I go solo, like a, you know, chucker hunt, you're out of cell signal. A lot of times you're only like an hour from people. So it's this deceptive, dangerous thing, but I literally drop a waypoint on Google earth 
uh, of exactly where I'm going to park. And then I drop another one in the direction I'm heading. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never follow it exactly, but it's like that, that right there, it's not just telling, oh yeah, hey guys, I'm going over to these mountains. That's, that does jack crud for you. I do that. I send her an email. I title every email the exact same thing. I just put hiking plan. And so she always, when I say hiking plan, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. And when she Googles hiking plan in her Gmail, she just searches it. She has 500 of these things that pop up, (laughs) you know, and she can instantly find it. Um, And then more importantly than that, it's not just telling them when, you know, and then in the email itself, I put five, you know, not back 5 p.m. call, right? Like I put an exact time deadline on it. Um, And if you're doing it really well, you ask that person to put something in their phone, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because trust me, when stuff goes bad, I've had stuff go bad solo. You do not want to be wondering if they're going to remember. But I know she'll remember because I'm coming home, right? But if it's someone that's not like that, you gotta you gotta be like, hey, can you right now tell Siri to set a reminder for August 13th at 9 p.m. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, So doing that, and then the other one that people forget all the time is not just sending them an email because then they don't know what to do. If it's like your mom, your dad, or somebody else, they're like, now what? Right. And like, they're going to call 911, 911's going to route them 10 different ways. They're not going to know what to do. Um, and they're also going to be a lot more reticent to call 911 because they're like, oh my gosh, it's a big deal. Versus I put the telephone number of the search and rescue organization in the area I'm in. Mm-hmm. So all they got to do is pull that email up, call the number, and they just like tell them exact GPS coordinates of where I am and when I was expected. Right. Right. Um, And the other thing is when she, I also put a little summary in the bottom of this. Again, guys can tell I'm anal, but this is the stuff that gets you out alive. I put a summary of all the things I carry. Oh, interesting. I say, hey, you know, train responder, done Ironman, hiked multiple peaks, carrying one pound, you know, like a a negative 20 degree security blanket, flare, EPIRB with this registration, like like the little blurb like that. Mm -hmm. And when search and rescue sees that, they know you're not screwing around. Like I've talked mm-hmm. to a bunch of buddies in, in CSAR and, and RSAR, Rocky Mountain Search and Rescue. Um, and they're like, yeah, when we see someone that has that level of detail, they're like, this is not someone that's calling wolf, right? If mm-hmm. they have that level of prep and detail and they activate a beacon or they don't come back, uh, we know, we love it because they're like, we know it's a high odds of us getting them and we know that it's a legit thing. Right. right. These, those folks don't miss their deadlines. They don't screw around. We, we come for you. Um, and so that's a, those things, those are really good things to do. And they're really, really easy to get out of the habit of doing. Yeah. Wow. The, uh, the search and rescue number and the instructions of what to do in case things go wrong. Wow. That's totally something I missed. I just sent them my plan yeah. and I didn't really realize how much distress yeah. I'd put them through if they're like, what the hell do we do now? So yeah. Dang, that's a you good know, one for And every me. minute counts. I mean, I think that's the thing. And all this stuff is like, if you read anything about wilderness response, it's time, 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 like as fast as you can get someone out, no matter what kind of injury it is. And so, you know, it might only take them 45 minutes to find someone or 30 minutes, but like, if you're bleeding out, that's your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. Um, so yeah, that's anyway, that's a little rant over on that one, but that's something I already do. But with this, it was even more insidious because we're not going to tell someone where we're going two miles from town in a, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like that's, that's crazy. But I think one of the other things that I'm definitely doing from now on that we actually had a run in with this and we were packing the elk is, um, 
one of the most dangerous things you don't think through when you're out hunting is like, what happens if right now I can't go anywhere? Right. And I had really warm clothing and all this stuff. We had most of it on. We're already kind of cold. It's snowing. It's, but like, if she had to stay there for an hour or two to get someone, I don't know if she wouldn't have gone into hypothermia or shock because she's so cold. Right. Wow. And of course I would have taken off everything I had, put her, put it on her, you run around in circles. There's a lot of things you can do, but if you remember last year when we were packing out that elk and we remember there was a period of like 45 minutes and like, man, we're in like, I don't know where we are. And like, it was not, I knew where we are, but like, I don't know exactly where we're at. And like the, the it's really steep. And like, if one of us rolls right now, it's for oh, sure yeah. a broken ankle. Um, and we kind of just did the math of, oh man, if one of us breaks an ankle right now, like, I don't even know how to get to somewhere to like, how do we keep them warm? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like in hindsight, I would have loved to keep the sleeping bag with me. And I think that's something I'm going to do with a lot of this stuff, you know, at the very least have an emergency blanket, but those little emergency blankets are worthless. Are they? If you've got an emergency blanket, you need to take it out of a package and try to spend a night outside in it. <laughs> because trust me, you don't want the first time you do that to be there. I have a, the emergency blanket I use is like a pound, three ounces. It's like, you know, the size of a Nalgene and a half. It's huge. Mm-hmm. And it's like a double baffled, you know, it's something that I've slept outside in and been like, okay, this won't be pleasant, but it'll work. Um, but I think from now on, a lot of these things, like with this, I really wish I would have brought like a super warm sleeping bag with us. So in case this sort of thing happened, or if you're packing out an elk and you drop your camp and you're going five miles, you know, mm-hmm. keep a sleeping bag with you just in case something goes weird. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even think about that risk that we were taking when we did that. Um, yeah, man, it's crazy because it's like, oh, you know, we're just a couple miles from the car, but yeah, you break a leg and now you're spending hours at least out yep. there or, but so those really thin ones that come in like the cheap, like $10 first aid kit, th- those are worthless. <laughs> I, oh, I would say so. I mean, oh. you, you make the call for yourself, but if I, they're like three bucks, right? right. Cut one of those suckers open go get in your backyard, even in a mild climate during the winter or something where it's a little colder and like hang out there for an hour with that thing on and tell me if you think it's a good option <laughs> yeah, for, it's... for elk country when it's going to 20 degrees at night. Um, you know, yeah, it's, never uh, tested. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that stuff is, again, it's like, it's very easy to point at someone and be like, oh, he's anal. and like, you're just a fraidy cat or whatever. But like the things like that in the back country, they go bad so quick. And it's so easy to make a proactive call like that, that just makes, stops them from being a huge deal, you know? Yeah. And before we started recording, we were talking about a movies like 14 Peaks and The Alpinist. Yeah. For those who haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. They're incredible. Like these rock climbing movies, Free Solo and Meru and Donwall, they tackle a lot of these situations. And um, one of the themes that I heard in one of them was he was talking about free solo climbers and how a vast majority of them end up dying on a route that was really easy that they were repeating while soloing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just crazy to me to think about like, yeah, it's, it's those times where we're like, Oh, we're just two miles from, from the house or we're just so close. Like we can skip yeah. some of that stuff. And those are the times that end up getting people, man. It's just, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's like elk hunting, you know, we always in that the hunt elk in 2020 series, that whole giant elk course kind of thing. We, we taught you through, um, we talked about you got to have your A, your B, your C, your D spot, right? Um, I mean, that's stand, very standard advice, but that's just for like where you want to go hunting. That's not for survival. Right? Like, right. I think guys need to think the same way with survival, which is walk through it, 
if you walk through that situation where we packed out that elk, we left literally everything we would need to survive. I mean, I, I always keep my, I had the matches. I have uh, a bunch of stuff in a little baggie fire starters that was with us. But like, again, how good are you at starting a fire? Are you in an area where a fire is possible? It's just sagebrush where we were, mm-hmm. you know, is it windy? It won't, you know, it, but you gotta like walk through that mentally and go, okay, I shoot an elk. We're packing out. The guy breaks an ankle. It's 20 degrees. It's dropping to 20 degrees. It's pretty normal for a September night, you know, back half a month, especially now what, right. And like, you got it. I got an A option. I got a case of A option is put all of our clothes on them. And I got to get help, right. B option, sleeping bag, C option, EPIRB, right. Like thinking mm-hmm. through the, thinking through all the different levels. And I would say just, you know, maybe after this podcast, take 10 minutes and just think through every hypothetical situation on your, your hunt this fall and go, what's my A, my B, my C plan, right? Yeah. Totally. Um, you can never eliminate risk. And that's, we're in a society that loves to do that. And like, that's clearly not what anyone doing this podcast is is doing. Like we're, we're out there having fun. We're having a good time, but I think you owe it to people around you and to the people that put their lives on the line to rescue you. You know, even if it's just a routine helicopter flight, there's danger involved in that mm-hmm. um, to kind of think this stuff through, right? Yeah, totally. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, this, this arguably could be the most important episode that we do. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully we save somebody's life. Right. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, it's, it's not, this is also not, as I said, I was just, the more I looked around, I was staggered by how common this is. You know, we, if you look at all Colorado tags, they put, I think it's like a dollar, just over a dollar on that for search and rescue, because it's so common among hunters that they literally subsidize it on hunting tags. That's um, crazy. So this is not a not an out of the blue type situation, right? It's uh, it's something that can happen. Yeah. In terms of um, accidents in the in the wildlife or in the backcountry, I remember you saying that one of the most common causes of death is knife cuts. Yeah. What are some other really common things that people should just be aware of that are dangerous in the backcountry? You know, I was doing research after this on uh, on what kills hunters is basically two things is anything it's like a, it's a exposure or it's a blade <laughs> whoa and uh that's really it um and i don't I mean again like i've seen if you watch what is it elk what's Corey jacobson's elk series called um uh the the expedition elk or something like that the the season three they put someone put a broadhead through his leg um and another one that I've seen on YouTube, I don't think it was Corey Jacobson or someone else, they cut themselves with a knife and had to be rescued. Like those things that are sharp. Um, I've always heard that, but it's amazing how fast it is. So good hygiene where it's like, you just don't do what Margaret did and point the arrow down ever. And if you have it in your bow, you you know, hold it in a way that if you fall, it goes somewhere else and you are just super careful about it. And when you're you know, it, it, the elk, I think dressing the elk in, in my mind is the number one. When we first dressed an elk with Margaret, she cut herself twice and didn't tell me. She, I was going to, she's like, you would have stopped me from dressing the elk. And they're both minor cuts, but like, it's very, very easy for someone who's new at this to do. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy in the moment. You've been there. You're like uphill and all these weird over the top positions because elk never die where it's flat. And you know, if you walked around the other side of the elk, you could cut away from yourself. You're like, oh, I just got to make like three cuts here. And then I keep going. 
right? Yep. And you're it's tired. Bad, you're tired. You're yeah. hours into it. And you have t- sometimes two people cutting at the same time. I remember we almost, yep. I, I think I almost cut you or yep. something. Two people at the same time. Oh man, it just gets risky. So yeah, risky. anytime that blade is out, it's just get, yeah. stay on high alert. Like this, that's a high probability way to die in the backcountry. And the other one you yep. mentioned though, exposure, does that usually lead is it usually, is the root cause of being exposed, they get lost first or like what usually happens there? Do you think? It's almost always, this is what, when I sail that boat solo offshore, they, they say it's, it's always death by a thousand paper cuts, right? It's not like you just catastrophically hit something and the boat goes down. It's like, well, you know, you start your, like what happened to me, your autopilot starts to fail. And so, cause the autopilot fails, you have to be upstairs guiding the boat and then the boat starts taking more water over the front that means there's more stress on a hatch and a hatch fails because the hatch fails the pump gets overworked and now the pump starts to clog and you're upstairs because the autopilot's failed and you can't come down to clean it and that you know it's just everything builds Whoa. right mm-hmm. and boats boats i think everything in life in these situations have been in it's always a compounding thing right it's not just okay this person's bleeding but it's like this person's bleeding it's cold you know it's Right. Um, we're wet. We don't have rain gear. We don't, you know, whatever it is. So I think a lot of these decisions too are about, you know, go back, listen to the the gear episodes we've got on, um, you know, why, I, why I use a double wall tent and cause I always have a rain fly with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, cause rain gear, no matter what you do, you're still going to get wet eventually. Like thinking through decisions like that, because they all compound, um, you know, if you're prepared in one way, you're, Again, it's like it's your A, your B, your C plan, right? You're you're exponentially safer if you're if you're just prepared. So the ones I've read about and heard about, it's almost always the same guy makes a bad decision about where to camp because he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he had the wrong shelter, so it blows in or it blows away. Now he doesn't have you know a good gear to stay warm. Um, doesn't have a compass or GPS. Doesn't know how to use it, so he has to stay put. He can't hike out. Or he tries to hike out and panics and just gets more and more lost. Um, it's just things kind of start to compound, and mm. um, the reality of it is, then you're now in a uh, you're now in a bad situation. I mean, if you're doing any sort of normal elk hunting, and what I think is like productive elk hunting or other stuff, like you're you're never that far from a car. Mm-hmm. You're never more than like a three or four hour hike from a car, right? Like that's the kind of thing that even if someone threw ice water on you, you should be able to survive just hiking out. Um, so you've got to really be egregious. It's not like you're 200 miles in the back country of Alaska, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Dang. Anyway. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's sobering stuff. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. Really sobering it's, stuff. It's, it's um, sobering. Yeah. If I were to categorize or summarize, it sounds like there's three main areas when it comes to safety. The first is education, right? So watching mm-hmm. those videos, how to tie a tourniquet, those basic first aid things. The second, there's the gear element, the EPIRB, the satellite communicator, the what if you have to stay here gear. Yeah. And then the third is that that plan, the hunting, I think you called it your, your hunt, your hiking plan. But I guess it's mm-hmm. like informing people of here's what I'm doing. Here's what to do if here's when I'm supposed to be back. And uh, here's what to do if not. Is there anything else that I'm missing you think from those three categories? I think those are the big ones. It's, if you do that, you're you're just hard to kill. <laughs> you know, like, like it's a great feeling. And I think very fortunately, this isn't the first time I've had bad things go. I've, I really tweaked an ankle out chucker hunting once and thought I wouldn't be able to get out in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. I've been I've been in a lot of these situations before. I've been 
dropped off by helicopters multiple times in New Zealand where I can't get help if I needed it. Um, and I've, I've had enough scares to kind of not scares, but like enough of these kind of situations to, to get you there. And I, I think the other thing is that we've talked about with elk hunting and especially if you're solo or you're new to this, it's a mental game, right? It's a huge mental game and it, it just take that mental game and multiply it by 10 for any sort of gnarly situation like that. Um, and even if you aren't in one of those, it's just such a good feeling, such a good feeling to know you're covered uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of that stuff. You're like, oh man, this could go south. You're like, but, but someone's going to call tomorrow night, right? Yeah. Or, oh, this could go south. Oh, but I've got the thing I can call out. Or, oh, I'm really feeling scared up here on this ridge. Like you were saying that one night it got super snowy. You're like, but I've got enough stuff to be warm. Right. If it gets really bad, right? I don't, I don't have to move right now. Yeah. Um, those are those are very good feelings and they stop you from panicking. Right. They stop you from making really bad decisions in the moment because you feel confident. So it's not just being a good little boy scout and like covering your butt. It's also just like enabling yourself to have a good mental state. Because um, for me, you know, I think something as emotional as your life partner being in a about you know in a life threatening situation that that can send you off the rails really quick. But fortunately, I had enough things that I knew how to do and where to go that that it just kind of clicked over into okay, you know, like um, this is not a good feeling and it's you know emotional to talk about now. But like I know the right few things to get her into a good spot and like if I didn't have that to lean on, I don't know where my head would have gone. Would I just right. panicked, you know? Um, right. So that's a, that's all I can say with that is it's not, you know, don't think this is the, the teacher's pet thing to do. This is like just a great thing to do for everyone. Yeah. And it's like we talked about with gear, like the amount of effort that we put into it. It's not just to have all the great gear and, and I mean, that's a really cool part of it and a good advantage that you have out there. But then that feeling of confidence when you walk out there of knowing you controlled everything you can control, it's just, just yeah. that is priceless. And I think that applies here. Um, man, I feel yeah. like I feel like I want to do a whole another episode where I interview you about all the crazy, gnarliest things that happened and the different lessons from them. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe one way we can wrap up a bit is how's Margaret doing now? And yeah, how's how's she thinking about all this? How'd the recovery go? Just want to end on a high note. She's uh, she's doing really really well. Baby's gonna be here in two months um, as we're talking now, and so you know she's healthy. He's healthy. It's another he. We're pretty oh. pretty proud of that. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I just found it yeah. now. I think. Wow, congrats, <laughs> it's so, little brother. Yeah, and so it's it's really cool to be like, hey, you know, we, we're in a good spot. She's healthy, happy. And it's a fun, you know, it's a good story to laugh a little bit about, right? Um, I think there's, there's enough scare there to make it like not a, not something you blow off, but um, you know, she's got a great scar. <laughs> she's got a really nice looking scar that she'll have for a long time uh, to, for us to remember that one by. Um, but yeah, we're not, the coolest thing about it is like, we're not stopping any of that stuff. I'm just as fired up about the things I'm doing, I'm just as fired up about it. You know, elk hunting. She's gonna be, you know, she's got a tag this fall in Wyoming, and um, we're not stopping. And I think that's how life is. Like, it's gonna always come at you with these weird, super brutal little things, and it's very easy to let that dictate and change who you are. Um, but if you're prepared and like you can deal with them quickly, like it's, uh, it also just stops you from stopping the things you love. You know, like mm-hmm. if that, I can guarantee if she died out there doing that, I probably would have a very different opinion of, of hunting in general. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that's what would matter in that situation, but I think it's just, it's so cool to be like, Hey, everything's good. And like some of that prep and some of that stuff panned out and like, we're right. We're happy and healthy and, you know, a little bit free tattooed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a gnarly scar. Oh, yeah. and uh, for people listening, like, like they've heard the word, you know, they've heard us talk about Margaret, I think over the last couple of years. And yes, the answer is yes. She is a badass. <laughs> she that is, is insane. She is. <laughs> Wyoming, Wyoming born and bred, man. They make them, they make them tough. <laughs> Uh, durable. <laughs> she hates it when I say that. Oh, really? <laughs> it's the worst way you could ever describe your wife. Durable. Uh, <laughs> gosh, uh, it's a good thing she's not here. Um, yeah, no. So it's it's all good. It was um, it's fun, but I think it's it's just like such a good. We really wanted to do this one. I think it's such a good episode and such a good reminder of all this stuff. Um, like the happiest I could be with this podcast in a year some guy reaches out he's hey we're listening to that episode and i like save my buddy's life or something um, oh my gosh that would be like cool. the whole point of this podcast would be justified like that i mean m- many times over yeah this yeah. this could be the most important one we do so for folks out there is there is there anything else that we you wanted to cover before we sign off i think that's it i mean i think the reality of this is like i'm not um there's areas I know I'm an expert, right? Like I'm not an expert, but like no one's an expert. If anyone tells you they figured something out, they haven't. Um, but I spend just a crazy amount of time researching products, um, very technical and analytical. So I can, you know, elk hunting data, I'm probably upper 5% or, you know, all these things I know that I'm really good at, but like medical advice, like at the end of the day, a medical professional um, is the best source for that. So I think if it does jog your memory, um, you know, go talk to someone like my sister who's gotten an EMS certification, um, backcountry EMS uh, certification. Go take that course, maybe. Um, you know, go look at other resources. I think that's that would be what I encourage folks most because even just listening to this, yeah, it might give you some tips and tricks, but if you're really serious about it, this isn't the final step. Um, so that's that's all I'd say there. Uh, it's just yeah, it's there's there's no downside to to knowing or being too safe when it comes to this stuff. Right. And I just realized maybe we should just cover it, but just in case we are not doctors, this is not medical advice. It's for informational purposes. We are not liable if you kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. It's just on you. You know what you're doing. Just we made you we made you more aware of what you're doing. (laughs) Comma stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Informational purposes only. We're just having fun out here, folks. Um, but yeah. Uh, I really do want to interview you though on the, all those crazy experiences just out of my own curiosity, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that would be a, one for another, another day. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think the, the reality of all these sports is that the things that seem that the best stories often aren't the nearest death situations. You know, like I could, you can tell amazing stories that sound intense, or you can tell the ones that like this, or, you know, Hey, we were two miles from a city and put a broadhead through a leg. And like, that actually was the most dangerous thing we've ever done. But Yes, I've had flash floods in New Zealand where I've had to been evacuated by a helicopter putting one skid on a rock in the middle of the river. And I can tell you that story all day, but like at the end of the day, that's not nearly as dangerous as this one was. Um, so I think that's that's it. It's the stuff that's maybe the note we leave it on. It's just that this stuff, it happens, it happens quick. It happens to people like me. They're like, I'm too prepared. This is not going to happen to me. I know what I'm doing. Um, so just check your ego at the door and uh, get ready for it. and and try to go about and enjoy, enjoy everything. Cause uh, you never know. Yeah. And stay safe out there. We will uh, catch you on the next one.